0: Hi, everyone. Say hi to Dr. Nishi Bhopal. She specializes in mental health and sleep. Dr. Bhopal is board certified in psychiatry, sleep medicine, and integrative holistic medicine. I'm really excited to have her on the show today to pick her brain about sleep hacks, the relationship between mental health issues and sleep, and what normal sleep actually looks like, because I think a lot of us have some sort of sleep sleep issue happening now so welcome to the show
1: dr nishi thank you melissa i'm so excited to be here
0: yeah i'm really excited um you know when we had the conversation earlier on i felt like what you had to share is very informative um so let's talk about sleep what actually happens during sleep like what is actually considered normal
1: Yeah, absolutely. So sleep is one of these things that we often think is kind of a passive process. Like you go to sleep and then you wake up and you're in this kind of state of oblivion in between. But actually there's a lot that happens physiologically during sleep and there's a lot of health benefits to sleep as well. So one of the things that happens from a cognitive or a mental health perspective is that your brain is consolidating memories when you sleep. And not only are you consolidating memories, like all the information that you've taken in during the day, it gets filed away into the right compartments when you're sleeping. So that's why if you're sleep deprived, you might find that it's hard to remember, you know, your friend's name or like, you know, the phone number or like small things that you normally wouldn't have trouble remembering might be harder to recall when you haven't gotten enough sleep because things haven't been filed away properly. Um, So that's one thing that happens is the consolidation of memories. But in addition to this, there are actually changes that you see with um, certain parts of the brain, like the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And this is where the emotional regulation piece comes in. So when you're getting a good night's sleep, your brain is better able to process emotions. It helps to quiet down activity in the amygdala, which is that fear center, so that during the day, you're better able to kind of manage stress you're less irritable less cranky Um, there's less of a risk of anxiety and depression or it can actually help um, alleviate some of those symptoms and this is just from a a mental health perspective but from a brain health perspective a really interesting sort of discovery recently is uh, about the glymphatic system in the brain Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the glymphatic system is basically like we have a lymphatic system in the body. So it's like it's called the glymphatic system in the brain. And this is the fluid that your brain resides in. So what happens when we go to sleep is during deep sleep or slow wave sleep, you get synchronicity in the brain waves across, uh, you know, across your brain. So you get these really beautiful, deep uh, waves on the EEG. And what's happening is when these brainwaves are synchronized, your brain is actually pumping out that fluid and clearing out all the toxins and waste that builds up during the day. And one of those toxins is amyloid protein, which we know is implicated in Alzheimer's dementia. So this is why when people are sleep deprived, they may have a higher risk of, of dementias later in life because your brain is able to clear all those toxins when you sleep. that's really cool (laughs) yeah
0: yeah um I wanted to jump back a little about the amygdala um I was reading this book called breath and there was an experiment where you know this guy he just took out the amygdala or I guess the fear centers in the brain of like monkeys or like and there was like some people like a girl she was born sort of it not working properly and basically like she was like fearless she didn't have she she couldn't like um register fear in other people like insecurity or whatever mm. and it kind of like everything else she could do but she couldn't do that and then that in itself she could not recognize danger as well like you know someone with a kidnap her or try to like do something in her she can't recognize that so that's that's really interesting so you're saying that if we have a lack of sleep or we don't sleep restoratively, um, that part of the brain is affected as well.
1: Yeah, that part of the brain is affected. And that's a really interesting sort of anecdote about like not having an amygdala. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, oftentimes we think of like fear, stress, anxiety as bad things, but they're not good or bad, right? These are things that are protective. Our brain has evolved to have these responses as a survival mechanism. So we need a certain level of fear to stay safe. We, we actually have adapted to have a certain level of anxiety to help us plan for the future and avoid danger. So when we sleep, the brain is better able to regulate those, those different parts of the brain um, that are involved in those responses so that you're more able to respond appropriately to different situations without being carried away by anxiety or without experiencing chronic stress.
0: I love that. That's a really good explanation of why we should have good sleep. (laughs) Okay. So continue. You were, you're trying to explain like, okay, um, there are like deep waves that kind of clear out toxins and waste products. Um, Mm -hmm. what else happens during sleep?
1: Yeah. So, um, from a cardiovascular perspective, this one is really important because what happens is our blood pressure naturally dips during sleep. So this is called blood pressure dipping so this is actually implicated in people having chronic issues with hypertension or high blood pressure because if you're not getting enough sleep or if you're not getting good quality sleep your blood pressure doesn't have a chance to actually dip and like kind of stay at a lower level it becomes chronically at a you know elevated so it's chronically at a higher state and so then when you're awake your blood pressure is going to elevate from that level and this is why you see people who have uncontrollable high blood pressure, and they might be on two or three different blood pressure medications um, because they're in this chronically elevated state of stress and hyperarousal, but they're also not getting restorative sleep where their blood pressure has a chance to dip or has a chance to decrease. And sort of an offshoot of that is sleep apnea, which maybe we can circle back to um, Mm -hmm. later in this discussion. But when people have untreated sleep apnea, that also leads to chronically elevated blood pressure. Um, so that's a really important cardiovascular sort of, um, you know, event that happens during sleep this blood pressure dipping. You also get regulation of your heart rate. So when people have poor sleep, or if they have a sleep disorder, like sleep apnea, it's harder to get other, um, conditions under control, like for example, atrial fibrillation. Um, so, and a very important aspect of treating a condition like that is making sure people are getting restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. And then from a metabolic perspective, um, you get regulation of your, um, blood sugar levels, but you also get regulation of hormones like leptin and ghrelin, which are involved in, um, satiety and hunger. So when we are sleep deprived, you actually get an increase in the hormone ghrelin, which is, I remember that is like your stomach is growling. So you have more growling because yeah. you're hungry. Uh. A hungry
0: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you get cute.
1: higher levels of that, lower levels of leptin. So that's why when you're sleep deprived, you might crave a little bit of like a, a sweet snack or something mm-hmm. savory in the afternoon. Like you want to grab that bag of chips or have that chocolate bar or something like that because your ghrelin levels are elevated. So you can see there's so many things. This is just scratching the surface of right. what happens in sleep, but it affects mm-hmm. every system, every organ system in the body. And it also affects um, mental health in a very significant way.
0: Got it. That makes so much sense because if you wake up and you, well, I know if I don't get enough sleep, I'm really cranky or like, you know, some people want to get craving. So it basically kind of like almost messes up your entire day, right? Because you're like, you can't respond to stress properly and you can't remember things or whatever. Um, So I could see how that's like a really important thing to prioritize.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, I really look at sleep as the foundation of health because if you're not sleeping well, it's hard to have energy to exercise or to be active or to, um, you know, make good food choices, mm-hmm. um, or to get other you know, aspects of your health optimized. Um, and so this is why sleep is really the foundation for all of those things.
0: So in terms of sleep, like, um, you know, like duration, like how long should we sleep and like, you know, the structure of it, like, could you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Absolutely. So, um, you know, about a third of adults don't get enough sleep on a regular basis. And the CDC has actually dis- declared this like a public health crisis, sleep deprivation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so most adults need somewhere between seven to nine hours of sleep. Uh, to feel rested. Now, this varies between individuals. So there are going to be some people who feel great with seven, but I have patients who are like seven hours. is not enough for me. I need like eight and a half or nine. So between that seven to nine hour range is um, optimal for most people. There may be some who need a little bit more. There are some people who need 10 hours. There are some people who might need six and a half, but that's not Mm. the majority. But the other aspect of this is regularity. So if you're getting, let's say you're getting eight hours of sleep on a regular basis, but it's at different times. Like sometimes it's from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then other times it's from midnight to 8 a.m. If it's varying all the time, even though it's the right number of hours, the Mm -hmm. quality is not necessarily going to be as good because it's going to disrupt your sleep architecture.
0: Interesting. Oh, so even like going to bed on time, like... I guess, a consistent time every day or waking up at the consistent time every day. So, um, you know, would that like affect someone's sleep schedule if they're like, oh, over the weekend, I can sleep in or try to make up for that? Like, that's that's a myth, right? Like, you can't really make up for sleep, right?
1: That's exactly right. And I mean, that was me, like all through university. <laughs> like, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, weekend warrior. And I I could never understand, like, I'd be like, well, I'm still getting, you know, seven, eight hours of sleep during the school week or the work week. Mm -hmm. Although it was like maybe on a totally different schedule than my weekend. And I was like, why am I tired all the time? I'm getting enough sleep. And the reason is because of that regularity. Because what happens is if you are on a different schedule on weekdays versus weekends, it puts you into a jet lag type state that we call social jet lag. So it's just like, yeah, so it's just like if you're traveling, you know, San Francisco to New York every weekend, that's a three hour time difference. So you get that same effect without actually traveling. It's just that you're on a three hour differential on the week, you know, or whatever it is for a given person on the weekend versus a weekday. And a couple of things happen with this. One is it's disruptive to your circadian rhythm, which is your internal sort of body clock that regulates your sleep-wake cycle It also regulates your Um, hunger patterns, it regulates your levels of energy, it regulates when hormones are being secreted and so forth. So differences in your sleep schedule is going to disrupt your circadian rhythm, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also going to disrupt your sleep architecture because we normally get in the first half of the night, more deep sleep. And in the second of the half of the night, we get more REM sleep. So if you're getting up, let's say, you know, 6 a.m. on a weekday, for work and then 9 a.m. on a weekend, you're cutting off your REM sleep on the weekdays, right? Because normally mm. you're you'll you'd be getting REM sleep at 7, 8, 9 a.m. if you're more on the delayed side. And conversely, if you're going to bed much later on a weekend versus a weekday, you're gonna be cutting off that deep sleep that you normally get in the first half of the night. So Okay,
0: so yeah. let's kind of compare the deep and the REM sleep. Like what, what is the difference?
1: Yes. So REM sleep is also known as rapid eye movement sleep. So that's where the word REM comes from. And um, generally speaking, this is thought to be when a lot of that um, consolidation of memories happens and a lot of that emotional regulation happens. And REM sleep is also considered the time where you get most of your dreams. Mm. So dreams can happen in non-REM sleep also, but vivid complex dreams that have storylines usually happen in your REM sleep. Um, So this is really important for sort of those brain functions. Deep sleep, however, is is also involved in those things, but it's more involved in restoration and repair. So this is when you get repair of your tissues and cells or like repair of muscles. Um, This happens primarily during deep sleep. So both aspects of sleep are important because people always ask me like, well, should I get more REM sleep? Should I get more? Yeah. Like, more important. They're mm-hmm. all important. All these stages are important because they all have different functions.
0: That's awesome. When you were talking about the deep sleep, I I remember in Chinese medicine, they have like certain times of the night corresponds to different organs working. And then I can't remember, like maybe the liver was like 11 or 1am, like maybe you would know, but um, and that was like, that was like the kind of a motivational tool for me too, because I'm like, I want to like detox, (laughs) you know, so like I try to get into bed at, at a certain time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting how like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda also like really understood the importance of sleep and the importance of timing of sleep. And I I think that like, you know, um, I mean, there's just so much wisdom there in those systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's really fascinating about those ancient systems is that what they knew is really starting to align with what modern sleep science and circadian rhythm science is showing.
0: That's pretty cool. So I have a quick question, like, you know, in terms of like the menstrual cycle, our hormone levels, like kind of dip and fall and all that. And I have noticed personally, like in my luteal phase, like right before my period, I, I do have more insomniac episodes than Mm -hmm. usual, or a little more anxiety. Um, Is that like due to like, you know, just progesterone
1: being a little high? Yeah. So you will see like some fluctuations across the menstrual cycle, Um, Mm Uh, And, you know, you'll see differences in your energy levels and your sleep quality. And this is an interesting question, too, because you see um, these changes becoming really pronounced for women during the time Mm -hmm. of perimenopause, Um, you know, as as they go into more estrogen dominance and and you get lower levels of progesterone sort of like, you know, as you you shift into menopause. And one of the things that happens around that time is. Um, it's thought that progesterone helps to increase the tone of the airway Um, so it's thought that it's like a mild airway stimulant Mm -hmm. and so when you have lower levels there is more collapsibility potentially in the airway and when you have more collapsibility in your airway Um, it increases the risk of sleep disordered breathing. And we were talking about, you know, the book Breath earlier and the importance of breathing. And Mm so um, this is a really important thing for if anyone's listening who is experiencing perimenopause um, or is postmenopausal, is that um, it's a good idea to uh, get evaluated for sleep apnea um, if you're having sleep issues because sleep apnea is often missed in women because it shows up in a very subtle way in women um, very differently than it shows up in men. And so I see a lot of women in my practice who um, have sleep apnea and it's just not been diagnosed. Instead, they've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, depression, Mm -hmm. um, anxiety, and um, because the symptoms are very nonspecific and they might not snore um they might not have the large, you know, you know the very loud like choking arousals and gasping arousals that that uh men may have mm-hmm. uh, so i always like to emphasize this point that if you're struggling with sleep and you're a perimenopausal woman um do consider sleep apnea
0: that's a really interesting point i like that okay so getting back to circadian rhythm um I'm really interested in this not only you know because it helps us to sleep and like it gives us energy in the morning and all that um I've also you know read about like our ovaries or like our internal clocks right we have our internal clocks and um you know so I work with women with PCOS and like if they have struggles with ovulation it's also a chance that if their circadian rhythm is not kind of working optimally then they might not ovulate regularly as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really important. So, you know, we have different kinds of rhythms in the body, right? So there's long rhythms, like the menstrual cycle is a long rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, can last a month, you know, 28 days or a month or what have you. Yeah. And then there is the circadian rhythm, which is your daily rhythm. So um, circa means around, dia means day. So it's around one day. Mm-hmm. And if your circadian rhythm is not regular, then it's going to throw all those other rhythms out of whack. So those longer rhythms are going to get out of whack so that like the menstrual cycle can be thrown um, off balance if your circadian rhythm is not regulated. And so maybe we can talk about how to regulate the circadian rhythm or like- Yeah, sort
0: of- that would be great. For that? Yeah, yeah? yeah okay. for sure.
1: Okay, should I just jump in or?
0: Um, Yes, let's do that.
1: Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I could go on and on. I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) Um, I know, me too. It will be here forever. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, We'll try to keep it in the time constraints, but um, okay. So some really simple ways to keep your circadian rhythm on track. So circadian rhythm is uh, regulated by a few simple factors. The first of which is light exposure. So getting bright light exposure in the morning at the same time every day helps to boost your natural cortisol levels and it helps to suppress melatonin. So melatonin is our sleep-wake hormone that regulates when we fall asleep and then cortisol helps us wake up in the morning. Mm. So a nice dose of bright sunlight um, for at least 10 minutes before 10 a.m. is going to help you feel more awake and alert. And it's going to put a stop on your brain's production of melatonin. So it's going to help you feel less sleepy when you first wake up. So light exposure first thing in the morning is optimal. And then you want to think about minimizing light exposure in the evening. And the way that you can do this, um, so like a, a hack that I use in my house is we have all of our lights on timers like with our um, Alexa device Mm -hmm. so if you have something like that you can set it so that everything just kind of starts to dim at 7 p.m and so that's what we do so just naturally you don't have to think about it like everything just starts dimming around 7 p.m Um, and that's going to help promote your body's natural production of melatonin in the evening so you want to be pretty consistent with that to start with
0: I like that I might actually try that with my Alexa
1: yeah Yes. Yeah. 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 It's a super simple thing to do, but it has a huge impact on, on your circadian Mm. rhythm. Um, the next thing is, and you know, we could talk more about light as well, if we want to go into more detail, but the next thing after light that affects your circadian rhythm is the timing of your meals. And this is something that like Ayurveda really emphasizes the ancient system of, of medicine from India Um, And traditional Chinese medicine too. So the timing of your meals can be just as important sometimes as what you're actually eating. So you want to be really consistent about having your meals around the same time every day. Mm -hmm. And it's ideal if your primary meal is sometime between 11am and 1pm um, like midday or even 11 PM and, and two p- uh, 11 AM and 2 PM. So in the middle of the day, that's when your metabolism is, is strongest. It's kind of, you know, you're burning things through things more quickly. Um, so that's a good time to have your main meals. kind of the opposite of what we do like in, yeah, <laughs> in dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lighter dinner, but if you're not able to do that, at least you want to try to be consistent about eating your meals at the same time every day. Um, okay. and then finish your, your dinner, especially if it's a, Heavy meal or a large meal, at least three hours before you go to bed. Um, yeah. So, what happens
0: if we eat like too much right before bed or, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, a few things can happen. One is it can increase your risk of GI issues. So, like heartburn, reflux, um, indigestion, um, metabolically, too. It's, uh, You can have more blood sugar issues or like issues with like insulin um, mm-hmm. if you're eating too late and too close before uh, you know, too close to bedtime. Um, it also can disrupt your sleep quality. And so like a really simple way to think about this is that your body is focusing on different physiological processes at different times of the day. So if Mm. your body is now focusing on digestion and is putting all its energy towards digestion in, you know, at bedtime, it has less reserve to now focus on helping you get good sleep too. Right. So I know it's a simple way to think about it, but, um, you know, that's, that's one thing I recommend to my patients. So if you do have your meal three hours before bed, but you tend to have low blood sugar and then you get hungry at, you know, two, 3 AM and you wake up and and Mm -hmm. you're struggling with that. What you can do is have like a high fiber snack about an hour before you go to bed so that you're stabilizing your blood sugar.
0: I love that. I love how we started talking about sleep and now we're talking about eating. It's just, <laughs> it's just a, a cycle. Um, okay. So, you know, if we move forward, like I did want to kind of link sleep with like mental health issues, especially like anxiety and depression. Um, I know, you know, probably both of them can affect one another. So what is the relationship?
1: Yeah. So there is a bi-directional relationship between mental health and sleep. So what this means is that if you're not getting good quality sleep, it can increase your risk of anxiety and depression and other mental health conditions and vice versa. If you're, if you're experiencing anxiety and depression, it can have a negative impact on your sleep quality. And, um, you know, there's been some interesting studies on like how, uh, getting a good night's sleep can actually reverse symptoms of anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. there was one study that showed that like one night of deep sleep can reduce uh, symptoms of anxiety the next day by a very significant amount. And like, you sort of alluded to that earlier when you were saying that when you don't get good sleep, then you're more cranky and Mm -hmm. irritable the next day, Mm -hmm. maybe you're like snapping at your husband or like, you know, like you're getting easily annoyed. So you can imagine if that happens after one night of bad sleep, like, how is that going to affect your mood? If that's happening on a regular basis consistently, it's going to have a very significant impact. Um, another interesting study that's, uh, or research finding that's come out is that, uh, poor quality sleep or insufficient sleep is an independent risk factor for suicidal ideation. So even for people who don't have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety, mm-hmm. um, getting poor sleep on a regular basis increases your risk of suicidal thoughts. So helping people restore their sleep, is actually a way to help reduce suicidality. And in my field of psychiatry, I mean, that's that's a huge thing. That's a very powerful thing. Um, There was a study on medical interns uh, a number of years ago in Nature, uh, it was published Mm -hmm. in the Nature Journal. And they found that, uh, so when you're a medical intern, like you are working crazy hours and working around the clock, like very irregular hours. And um, it's been shown that having that sort of irregular schedule or like a shift work schedule increases the risk of depression. We know those types of schedules also increase the risk of other health issues, like increases risk of cancer and metabolic issues and so forth, but Mm. it also increases the risk of um, mental health issues. And then one last um, sort of point here that's important to recognize is that when people have anxiety or depression, um, it increases the risk of sleep disorders. But when people have a sleep issue, they're more than twice as likely to develop an anxiety disorder. Um, they're, they have an increased risk of developing depression. And then even when that anxiety or depression is treated, if they start experiencing sleep issues again, there's a higher risk of relapse back into anxiety and depression.
0: So if someone has, you know, both of them, right? Like trouble sleeping, anxiety, depression, uh, what do you address first?
1: So I um, typically address both. Uh, So I'm a psychiatrist and sleep doctor, of course. So um, I like to make sure that, you know, we're really working on good coping skills during the day and Mm -hmm. giving people good support during the day so that by the time sleep rolls around at night, um, you know, their nervous system is better regulated um, because if you have a dysregulated nervous system, it's going to be hard to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also focus on, on sleep as well. So we kind of, you know, focus on both. It really depends on the individual, but good sleep starts during the day. Uh, you know, often I've people think. That. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So people think about like, okay, I want to focus on my sleep, so I'm just going to focus on that 30 minutes before bedtime or that 60 minutes before bedtime. But if that's the only time that you're really working on it, you're not really setting yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. So you really want to think about setting yourself up for good sleep starting first thing in the morning.
0: Nice, I like that. Um, I'm going to jump a little into like how can we optimize sleep quality just because you're, you know, you're kind of talking about it. Like, so if you're helping someone with both mental health issues and also sleep, um, what kind what kind of, I guess, practices do you do with them
1: for yeah, sleep? Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so the first, so there's three aspects you want to look at really when you're optimizing sleep. So one is circadian rhythm, which we kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. The second is increasing what we call sleep drive, or, um, it's also known as process S so circadian rhythm is process C sleep drive. And I'll explain what that is in a moment. is process S. And the third thing you want to focus on is your nervous system or your mindset. Mm -hmm. Okay. So process S or your sleep drive is basically your, um, sleep pressure. This is what, like, the more you stay awake, this is what makes you fall asleep in the evening. So the more you stay awake, during the day, the longer you're awake, Mm
0: -hmm. the more
1: you get a buildup of a a neurotransmitter called adenosine. And so adenosine is a byproduct of cellular metabolism. So as you're awake, your cells are like, you know, metabolizing everything that, that you've consumed during the day, they're producing energy and you start to produce adenosine. And as that adenosine builds up, you start to get more and more sleepy. And, um, If you are taking, let's say, you know, let's say you have insomnia and you're taking a nap in the middle of the day because you're so tired, your brain is now washing out that adenosine and your sleep pressure is going to go down.
0: Interesting. Um, Yes. So would adenosine be similar to melatonin in that sense?
1: A little bit different. So melatonin, I think of more as a sleep wake regulator. So it's like, it's melatonin is more like a clock. So it just Mm. tells your body that, okay, now it's nighttime. Now it's time to go to sleep but it's not sedating necessarily in the way that like adenosine actually makes you feel sleepy. Drowsy. Drowsy. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So caffeine has a very similar chemical structure to adenosine. So caffeine can actually bind to the adenosine receptor and block its effects. So this is why like you know, there's this recommendation of don't have caffeine later in the Mm -hmm. day. That's because it's, you're blocking your adenosine receptors. So your brain's not able to receive that message from adenosine that it's time to sleep. Um, and as people drink caffeine, the adenosine is still building up in the background. It's just Mm -hmm. not able to bind to the receptor and have an effect. And so this is why, like when people start drinking caffeine, it's hard for them to, to stop because when they stop, they feel so sleepy because they get this influx of the adenosine now binding to the receptor. So then they drink more caffeine to, mm-hmm. to feel less sleepy. And oh, that's interesting. Cycle.
0: I really like that because, you know, I think a lot of people are, well, I guess the general knowledge is like, oh, yeah, you need caffeine to like kind of stimulate yourself. And if you don't have that stimulation, then you can't really work or be productive. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when it comes to sleep, there's just a lot of talk about melatonin and definitely like -hmm. no one really knows about adenosine at all. Yes,
1: Yeah. So melatonin, you can think of as your circadian rhythm. So that's linked to your process C. Okay. And then adenosine is, is part of your process S. And then the third aspect is regulating your nervous system through the day Mm. and the way that I conceptualize this is that like, if you're running around all day, if you're stressed out, you're going from meeting to meeting, or like you're, you know, if you have kids, if you're like driving them around and like, you just never have a time, like a moment to rest mm-hmm. or a moment to breathe, your, your nervous system's in overdrive. So you're in your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight, flight and freeze response. Um, but your sleep is dominated by the parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're in your sympathetic nervous system all day, then you're not just naturally going to switch into your parasympathetic nervous system as soon as you go to bed. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, you kind of think you can think of it like a bullet train or like a speed train. So if your nervous system is like a bullet train all day, like even a bullet train has to slow down to enter the station. right? <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. just come to a complete stop. Yeah. Um, so your nervous system is like this. You have to give it time to slow down and come to a stop at mm-hmm. the end of the day. It's not just like flipping a switch. Got
0: it. So those are the three kind of branches to optimize sleep quality. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. So in terms of, you know, nutrition and gut health, I know we talked a little bit earlier about like caffeine and but also like not making sure you don't eat like three hours before bed. Um, is there anything else about gut health or nutrition that you, you know, find that is very relatable to sleep?
1: Yeah. So just like we talked about with mental health, there's a bi-directional relationship between yep. sleep and mental health. The same goes with uh, diet and gut health. So there's mm-hmm. a bi-directional relationship there, meaning that um, diet affects sleep quality. And we can see, you know, specifically what that means. And then of course, sleep affects your diet because of how it regulates your leptin and ghrelin. And then you're more likely to crave carbs and sugary right. things and so forth. So there's actually some studies showing that Diets that are high in saturated fat and that are high in processed sugars actually result in poor sleep quality and less of that deep, slow-wave, restorative sleep. And conversely, diets that are high in fiber actually increases deep sleep and results in more restorative sleep. So, um, if you are struggling with sleep, you want to shift. You know, just take a look at your diet and see where you can make some shifts to, Mm. you know, increasing. You know, um, high fiber foods, whole grains, healthy fats, fruits and vegetables, and starting to minimize any of those like processed snacks that you might be craving um, if you are sleep deprived. The other thing that people often forget about though is that like food provides the building blocks for your body to produce neurotransmitters and like serotonin um, and dopamine and uh you know, all these other neurotransmitters that are involved in sleep wake regulation. And, you know, like 95% of our serotonin is produced in the gut. Uh, so, if you have problems with gut health, then your mm-hmm. body's not able to produce right. serotonin effectively. And that's going to have an effect on your sleep quality. Um, and then there are certain micronutrients to be aware of, one of which is iron. Um, and iron is important for dopamine synthesis. But um, for women, especially menstruating women, um, there's a higher risk of of low iron, like iron deficiency, anemia Mm -hmm. because of blood loss from the menstrual cycle and low iron levels, specifically low ferritin, which is kind of like a marker of your iron stores can increase the risk of restless leg syndrome, um, which is uh, a periodic periodic limb movement disorder. And these are movement disorders. Uh, Restless Mm -hmm. leg syndrome happens when you're awake. So I see this a lot in women that I work with. Like they'll say, I have a hard time falling asleep. My legs feel restless, or I feel like I have to get up and walk around or wiggle my toes or I just can't get comfortable, or I have these creepy crawly sensations in my legs. Um, it can happen in other parts of the body too, like the trunk and the, the upper extremities, the arms, um, but a simple test to check your iron and ferritin levels can, can um, elucidate you know, whether or not you have uh, you know, low iron contributing to poor sleep. And ferritin for sleep ideally should be more than 75. Um, mm-hmm. even though normal range is like, depending on the lab, it might be like 10 or 12 might be the lower limit of the normal range. But that is not optimal for sleep. Wow. At least, uh, that's about a big difference. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you were talking about like the micronutrients, um, are there any foods that are actually, you know, optimal for sleep? I think that's a big one that people will want to know about.
1: Yeah. So, um, there's been studies on the Mediterranean style diet showing that it helps to improve sleep quality and it helps to reduce symptoms of insomnia. So these are foods that are specifically like, um, uh, very like heavy and vegetables. So, you know, sweet potato is a good one. Hmm. Um, you know, like spinach, uh, depending on people's tolerances of different types of foods, but like broccoli, um, kale, those types, you know, those sort of traditional right. healthy yeah. foods, Um, some specific things though that I I would recommend that can be helpful are like nuts. Um, so especially in the evening, if you do tend to crave something like, like a snack, especially like a salty snack, sometimes like a handful of walnuts or almonds can, can be beneficial. And walnuts especially are high in omega-3, um, which is actually shown to impact sleep quality. So if you're deficient in omega-3, um, that type of food can be helpful, um, if you have a deficiency in omega-3, that also can affect your melatonin um, production mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your melatonin function. Um, other types of things would be like, I'm a fan of like um, eating something that's like a little bit satiating. So something like hummus with roasted vegetable is a great snack before yeah, you go to bed.
0: good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Or things like uh, berries or like a banana with nut butter, that type of thing.
0: Nice. I, you know, when you were talking about almonds and walnuts, I actually personally, I use that if I can't sleep or if I mm-hmm. su- suddenly feel hungry Um, and it actually works. I actually go to bed, like not feeling hungry anymore, yeah. which is really weird. Cause I'm only like eating a handful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Very possible. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Um, Okay. So moving on, I do want to talk a little bit about common sleep disorders. I know we Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about like sleep apnea earlier, um, restless leg syndrome. What are the other ones that are common that people should start to know about?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the three main ones are sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, and then of course, insomnia.
0: Right. And
1: um, this is really important for women to be aware of because women are more likely to have Sleep disorders. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes um people only think about insomnia. Um, but there's actually like 80 different sleep disorders out there. Right. Um, right. I bet. Um, yes, <laughs> yes. And then the two other most common ones are the sleep apnea and the restless leg syndrome. Okay. So um for anyone who's listening who is struggling with sleep, I always recommend to peel back the layers and look at the root cause because that insomnia could be caused by any number of different things. Um, You know, like we looked at imbalances in the circadian rhythm. Um, Is your sleep drive not optimized? Like, are you not producing enough adenosine or giving your your brain enough time to produce adenosine? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, is your nervous system in, you know, overdrive? Um, But then you also want to look at food. So from the Ayurvedic perspective, there's like four main categories you want to look at. So these are your food that you're eating. So the timing of your food, the types of foods you're eating, if you have any digestive issues, um, acid reflux, heartburn, dysbiosis, leaky gut, all these things have an impact. Um, The second thing from the Ayurvedic perspective is your environment. So I've seen simple things like um, airing out your room, dusting it, cleaning, vacuuming, um, maybe moving your bedroom to a place that has good ventilation versus one that's more and stuffy and doesn't have good ventilation. I've seen that have a huge impact in my patients. Mm. Um, So your environment, Uh, making sure your room is like an inviting place for you to be, like you don't want it to be a place where you feel stressed out. Um, Yes. That's a big one for me. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And then the third one is your um, mind. So working on thoughts about sleep. So when people struggle with sleep, they can start to develop a lot of anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes this like elusive thing, because the more anxious you are about sleeping, the harder it is to fall asleep and stay asleep. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Addressing those thoughts. And then the fourth thing is medical issues. So making sure your micronutrients are optimized, making sure there's no um, sleep apnea or other Mm -hmm. underlying sleep disorders or other medical issues or medications that could be causing sleep issues. I love that.
0: I love how we, you know, talked about different things about sleep or relationships to sleep. And then we just kind of always go back to like the basics and lifestyle and food and all that. Um, I mean, it's been great having you on the show. I learned a little bit, like, especially the adenosine part, um, but I hope like our listeners would learn a little bit more about sleep issues too. And, um, you know, what it actually consists of. So if someone wanted to work with you, um, you know, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. So I have a free holistic sleep guide. Um, so if people want to you know, take a look at that, that you can get that at intrabalance.com forward slash sleep guide. And then I also have a self-guided sleep program called the holistic sleep reset, where we go mm-hmm. into detail on all of these things. And so I kind of guide people through this process that, that we just discussed to help optimize sleep. Um, so that you can uh, follow me on Instagram at intrabalance, I-N-T-R-A balance to learn more about that.
0: Awesome. Okay. I'll put that on the show notes. Thank you so much
1: for being on the show. That that was really fun. Uh, Thank you for having me.